Tonight, I'd like to offer a few reflections on a teaching called the Five Spiritual Faculties or Five Spiritual Powers. Let me just check how's the distance? Too close? Just right? (laughs) Just right, okay. So these are qualities of uh, faculties of mind that as they develop and deepen, and they do, it's not like we have to start out with them in really good shape. We practice, they develop. They turn from being faculties into powers that in a way we could say are the motor for awakening. The view can be that it's me sitting here doing my meditation, trying to be awakened, right? But from the perspective of not-self, we see very clearly in one moment, actually what's driving this is either skillful tendencies or unskillful tendencies in any one moment, right? Sometimes there's unskillful something driving my action. Sometimes it's very skillful and beautiful, And in practice, we're giving support to that which leads onward towards freedom and liberation. (coughs) So I'll name the list uh, of five, and hopefully I'll get through them all Um, tonight. We'll see. And they work together. They keep feeding and supporting each other. And you'll see, and you'll you'll see it, you'll either know it from your experience, or you'll start to see these faculties more clearly and discern them and see how they work together, how they can strengthen and deepen and take us onward, actually. So the first one is faith. The second is energy. Then mindfulness. Then samadhi, which I'll talk about, sometimes translated as concentration, but that's a little tricky in English. Right, but samadhi, which is a kind of the gathered mind, and the fifth one is wisdom, panya, right? Faith, energy, mindfulness, samadhi, and wisdom. Let's start with faith. And as I name the 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 quality, just see what your own mind does with it, right? I remember hearing lists from teachers and I would always be assessing, well, have I got that one and have I got that one and I don't score very big on that one, but I score really well on that one. Just see if your mind's doing any of that. And as much as you're able, sit back into the awareness of that and try and hear these freshly rather than assess uh, what score we get, what grade we get on each of the qualities. Because they, just like Shada was saying with mindfulness, how we, when we start out on the path what we think mindfulness is, as we go deeper with anything, we're constantly letting go of our old ways of conceiving something and finding out what's, what's more accurate. <clears throat> so faith, also translated as confidence. Um, confidence in what? Faith in what? Faith in awakening. Faith in the possibility for you that this is actually on the map. Faith in the Four Noble Truths, which I'll say a little bit more about. Faith in the Dharma. Faith in the truth of the way things are. 
and the teaching of the truth of the way things are. And it's uh, in the in the text it says that this faith is reasoned and rooted in understanding. It's reasoned and rooted in understanding. It's not. it's ver- it becomes verified. It's not blind. All right? We're not asked to believe something and take it on. as a. It, it's not a mental construct as such. It's reasoned and rooted. We check it out for ourselves. So what gives rise to faith? Because you might be thinking there, thinking, well, I don't have much faith. You might have a story about yourself. But actually, to get here at all, you have quite some faith. <laughs> really. All right? to be willing to know there's some possibility, whatever, even if it's desperation that brings us here, there's some sense of possibility for us. One of the conditions that gives rise to faith, and it's talked about, um, I won't be able to go into all of the mapping. The mapping is extensive and precise in the Buddha Dharma. But for those of you who know the teaching of dependent origination, which is very key to the Buddha which is about conditionality. Everything arises conditional on something else, on causes and conditions. There's not a sole cause. It's all co-arising together. It also talks about in the text a model called uh, transcendental dependent origination. The normal model of the 12 links of how we get into suffering Right? That's what we normally see as dependent origination, and it's, it's a brilliant model. In the transen- transcendental dependent origination, what that means is what are the causal conditions and factors that support one another to lead out of suffering? Right? And faith is one of them, and this is what the Buddha says. He says, monks, nuns, Sincere practitioners, faith has a supporting condition. Like, what supports faith to arise, I say? And what is the supporting condition for faith? Suffering is the reply, right? And this is very interesting, isn't it? Suffering is the, re- the a causal possibility for faith. And I think of all, <laughs> I think of when I've been suffering, and there's no faith, I'm just miserable, Right? That's, that's also possible. I don't think it just means suffering per se, but let me put it to you another way, that something about suffering can push us to a certain degree where we're rubbed up against something. We can't just kind of sit in complacency anymore. Or yeah, yeah. Something pushes us. So let me explain it this way, how I saw that. Because it's remember, it's faith in Dhamma. Um, I was, uh, uh, when I first read the model of the Four Noble Truths, so I'll remind you of it. Um, the first truth, in a way, the Buddha's premise there is suffering, right? There is unsatisfactoriness. He doesn't say life is suffering, that's a very important thing. He says there is unsatisfactoriness, there is suffering. First time I read that, I was in my early 20s, I was in India, I read it, and I thought, wow. Finally. It wasn't that I especially thought that I suffered a lot, but it was like, here's someone giving a map that starts here. I can, I can go with that. 
right? There's some faith. He starts here. I know the unsatisfactoriness. I know the not-quite-being-at-homeness. I know the not-quite... Didn't know what I didn't quite know, but I knew I didn't quite know something, right? Right? Yeah, okay. There was such a relief, such an inspiration of, okay. He doesn't ask me to believe something. He doesn't say, well, it's like this. He just says, start here. Do you know this? It's like, yeah, I know this. It's verified. It's, it's uh, reasoned, and it's rooted in my understanding. And the Im- implication of that, that there is suffering, there is unsatisfactoriness, it's like somebody's speaking about it. Oh, You mean it's not my fault? The wrong view has us believe that unsatisfactoriness and suffering is our fault somehow. But I've got it wrong. Or you've got it wrong. What a relief. What a way we can just breathe out. Okay, so the faith and the inspiration in this map, it's not inspiration in the map, it's inspiration in the possibility of where the map points to. Faith is sometimes talked about what we can rest our heart upon. Rest our heart, resting my heart upon the teaching that points me to suffering, to the cause of suffering, to the end of suffering, and the way to the end of suffering. So, okay, let me try it out. I can rest my heart here. The other, pe- the other quote from the text is, it says, she investigates and tests the object of her faith. Right. So this kind of faith is not in conflict with inquiring, with questioning, with investigating, with the spirit of inquiry. Right. It's got energy. It's, it's close to energy, which is the next factor. It's got energy in it because we want to look and see for ourselves. She, t- she investigates and tests the objects of her faith. Let me test the Four Noble Truths. Let me test. Does this really, is this really how it is? Let me see. When I contact suffering here and now, here and now, Whatever it might be, the way my mind might be holding on, or I'm, I'm telling myself a story about myself that's unhelpful. That my heart is aching, perhaps, with um, grief, let's say. If I come close, if I come close with the first truth, there is suffering, and the imperative is to understand it, to stand under it to touch it, to know it, to sense it, to feel it, to see it. As I come close there, I can start to see the way through. Somebody in the group today um, was noticing, I, I, I think I could tell it this way, suffering as a doorway into freedom. Right? And she said um, she had missed the time of the group um, and came late and just was reflecting on the fact that when she read, when she saw 11 o'clock in her mind, it wasn't a big deal, it was a really small thing. She saw 11.15, but she didn't see 11.15, she saw 4 o'clock. <laughs> you know how that can happen, right? We're not quite seeing straight, we're not quite seeing things, we don't quite take in reality sometimes. It's not a big deal, it's not a major problem. Right, 
But it's a small thing and there was some sorrow that that gave rise to of, oh yeah, it's like that, not just with this, not this issue so much, but that way I miss reality sometimes. (coughs) That way I don't quite see clearly how things are. Uh, There's um, uh, uh, Virginia Sati said, um, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. Right, through our obscurations, through our lenses, through our occlusions, through our occlusions. So she stayed with it. She said, yeah, that's, it's not such a big deal, but it, it shows me that place where it's like that. I'm not always in contact. I miss something about reality. There was sorrow in the heart. She stayed with the sorrow in the heart, the grief for that condition for hum- us humans. And as she stayed with the grief, It started to pass. The heart opened and widened. So with suffering as a cause, we could say, met with faith and practice, something started to widen. As she opened the sense of connectedness with us in the room was easy and the sense of relief as she rested into the open awareness that simply knows things as they are, not making it my fault or your fault, but following conditions, seeing their nature, and something releasing. This is possible for us, moment by moment, but we want to often move away from the doorway of suffering, don't you? I do. Who wants to suffer? Who wants to suffer unless we start to get more and more confidence that with the skillful handling, it is a doorway into our depth. But we learn this. It's not like we have to get it right away. So it inspires, faith can inspire the mind. Um... I should speak about doubt, right? Because that comes up a lot. It's one of the... It's very common. Um, Firstly, this kind of faith isn't one where you're not allowed to doubt. In fact, there's a book in our library by one of the guiding teachers of Guy House called The Faith to Doubt, right? It's like there's enough faith where you can question and look into. There's a different kind of doubt that's rather undermining where we're we're just undermining ourselves all the time. That's a hindrance to practice. And that kind of doubt, that undermining kind of doubt, where we're constantly doubting, well, I doubt myself, I doubt the teachers, I doubt the teachings, that, we can see it, and that doesn't go, that doesn't finish, apparently, in the path map, until um, some way along the path which is a, a, what's known in this tradition on the map as stream entry. Something has opened up and doubt disappears. Faith and confidence in the Dharma, in awakening, is uh, unshakable in that moment. <clears throat> so how else does faith arise for you? <clears throat> how has it arisen for you enough to get here? <coughs> Maybe it's like a little spark... Sometimes it's like a blazing fire of um, the sense of possibility. Sometimes we see it in someone else, 
And that can inspire us. If we're not judging ourselves, that can inspire us. You know, the, the, in the tradition, the, the monks and the nuns are, can be seeing them, somebody who's gone forth into the renunciate life, can be an inspiration for faith for us. Wow, it's like, wow, you're willing to live like that? You're willing to live in, in, in this tradition, in the Theravada tradition, you're willing to live with no money and just begging for your meal? And Wow, you must have some faith. And you look all right. <laughs> I mean, some of them probably don't, but, you know, sometimes you really see that. Right? Sometimes in the eyes of another, we can be inspired or the actions of another, right? Because it's really our life and our awakening are expressed through body, speech, and mind. <laughs> body, speech, and mind. Whichever way around that is. But through our actions. The actions of someone who's willing to live in a certain way, take certain risks for the benefit of life. Can inspire us. Actually, I... I You know, you probably saw in the news that Nelson Mandela's very unwell and critically ill at the moment. I was looking at the BBC last night. I'll I'll let you know the progress if there's any. South Africa awaits his news, but so do many of us, right? Something inspiring about someone who was incarcerated for 27 years under oppression with a big heart. And seemingly, if you look at the clips, a bigger heart than before even. Something inspires us about each other. The faith to start to let go, the faith to take our hands off trying to fix ourselves, because the Dharma isn't actually about fixing ourselves. Taking our hands off the myriad ways we have, in the ways we don't even know until we sit with our mind long enough to see the ways we're, we've got our hands all over ourselves, trying to squeeze that piece away, trying to reject that piece, trying to prop up this piece, trying to twist that piece, trying to be the right shape according to the idea. And I don't just mean physically, right? To show up in the way that we think we're supposed to based on an ideal. Faith to take our hands off. Take your hands off yourself. You're fine. You're completely fine. Like, no, I'm not. <laughs> there's that dodgy bit and there's that really bad. Whew, take your hands off. And we're hopefully giving lots of room for the taking your hands off, the relaxation, because these faculties don't get supported in a tight mind. And we are tight to some degree. We're either tight or um, scratchy or um, squashed sometimes. We're squashing ourselves through the, uh, through the messages that we've gotten and now we're doing to ourselves. And here, let's take our hands off. Oof. Sometimes that's a bit scary, and that's why faith is faith. Right? Take our hands off. Leave yourself alone. 
we can't always do that, but we can start to see the places where our hands are on, right? Or it's not even our hands sometimes. Have you ever experienced, like, sometimes I used to get the sense of at the beginning of Monty Python, in that cartoon bit, and, and now lots of you aren't old enough to remember. <laughs> and I'm only just. Um, it's that bit at the boot, uh, with the boot, it's got an iron leg through it, an iron rod through it, and this big old boot, and it comes along with that funny tune, and it goes along, and it goes, you know what it does, and it goes, it just like, there's some little character there, and it just squashes it right down. And it's kind of familiar to us, isn't it? It's like there's the externalized version, but some of us are doing that to ourselves. And we don't even know sometimes. When we get to know that we're doing it to ourselves, it's horrible, but at least we can start to see it and work with it. So there's many ways our hands and our boots are all over ourselves. Ah, faith to take our hands off. It's a lot about faith, isn't it? I might not get to the other ones. Yes, faith to start to work with and see through the shame, actually, that can be shrouding us from that wrong view that thinks it's somehow my fault that I am suffering. And, or even if it's you know, just the unsatisfactoriness, that somehow that's a shameful thing to be in this situation. I shouldn't have grief, sorrow, lamentation, pain and despair, even though the Buddha says that's part of it. One one of my students, she, um, uh, I say she, um, yeah, she told me recently that the messages, the internalized and externalized from the from her her family of origin, God bless our families, we're we're all in this together. She said she came home one day, something simple, probably many of you know, and said something. Oh, I'm struggling a little bit with feeling, I don't know unhappy or grumpy. And the message, which she now does to herself, is, well, you shouldn't have done that, should you? And then you wouldn't be feeling like that. And why didn't you go out for a walk? Then you'd have felt better. And if you hadn't done that, you wouldn't be ending up feeling like that. And that whole barrage came, and it's like, right, there's, it's not okay to be having my experience. The faith is also the faith to let ourselves have the experience we're having. Whatever it is, whether it's contraction, expansion, emotion, no emotion, numbness, love, not knowing, um, spaciousness, rage, grief, hatred, any, what's here to let ourselves have it and know it. Right? The faith to have our experience. So... As the faith deepens, as we go through the path, and you can see how these factors work together, it inspires energy. Like I read about the Four Noble Truths, and it's like, okay, I want to practice. I'm ready. Seeing that there is, as somebody pointed out today, there is a difference between reading about it and <laughs> getting, getting dirty, getting down and dirty on the meditation cushion, right? Getting our hands dirty. Getting in there with our own material. So it inspires energy and we're willing to come to practice. 
Energy is the energy for patience and perseverance. It's not about exertion, this squeezing and exerting uh, most of the time. It's for energy to be consistent and develop. It needs to be patient, steady and persevering. My tendency, my sankara, my patterning with energy is if I wanted to do something based on my conditions of my life, it would be, okay, right, roll my sleeves up, let me get in there. And if any of you have that tendency, anybody know that one? At least, sometimes when we're younger, at a certain point, as one of my teachers said, as a young man, he was really one of those kind, it's a kind of, sometimes called the kind of young man spirit, right? And he, said, and he was really like that, real gung-ho, go for it. Meditator, and now he's in his 60s. He's kind of, right, where did all that go? <laughs> right? It's beautiful. It absolutely has a place, but it needs to be balanced. Right? It needs to be balanced. Otherwise, we wear out. We wear out, we burn out, whether it's practice or anything else. Right? Um, so it's not forceful exertion. Or we may see that, and at a certain point we do get worn out or burned out, and we have to back off and, okay, let me check out the energy here. Let me check it out. And we need to rest up. So the balance of energy is is not overexertion, and it's not collapsing. Uh, And for all of us, there's going to be a dance to know how to balance that in our life. Probably we go back and forth from time to time to come to find the middle way with energy. What is the energy for? What is the energy for? And again, I give you part of the map because I think it's quite beautiful. Um, The energy is for what is known as four great efforts. And I even hear the word great effort and I start to go, right. right. It's not like that. The great efforts aren't something we have to seize ourselves for. Can you just hear the word effort and see what your mind does with it? Can you widen and soften? Remember, you don't do the energy. Energy is a factor that can strengthen. So what are these four great efforts? How do you hear the word great effort? What happens to you on your seat when you hear the word great effort? Does anyone else go, right? Or anyone else go, oh my God, <laughs> great effort? It's already hard enough. Right? And just see the two extremes. Right? That's what we see. We see the facsimiles of all these spiritual powers. We see the versions of the spiritual powers that are a little bit tainted with our ego. Of course. It's not like we're all pure all the time. We have to see that. We discern that. It's beautiful to start to discern that. So the four efforts, one is called guarding or avoiding unskillful tendencies. One is overcoming unskillful tendencies. They're the two in the unskillful department. And one is developing skillful tendencies and maintaining skillful tendencies. How do we do that? 
How do we do that? So avoiding or guarding is like Shada said this morning with the mind that we, we're not obliged to pick everything up that comes into the mind. It's like I don't have to go, I'm not actually going there. We guard the mind. We guard the senses. I don't have to look at every pair of shoes uh, along the corridor to see which ones I like. Or we don't keep going out. What was it Shada said this morning? With, um, we want to sniff at everything, right? Something like that. It's the other thing that happens. We hear teachings the way we hear them. We don't necessarily hear hear what was said. (laughs) But like the dog, right? We want to take a sniff at everything. It's like we don't have to. Curiosity and investigation uh, has to be um, together with wisdom. We don't have to pick up every single scent that the mind throws up. And that's wisdom. On the outside, that might mean restraint and abstaining from certain things that we know don't lead anywhere good for us. Overcoming is an interesting one. It's like something unwholesome has already arisen, something that doesn't lead anywhere good has already arisen, and we um, uh, work to not act it out. Right? There may not be enough wisdom yet, but we work to not act it out. So let's say, um, I, actually, I'm, I'm remembering when I learned this in a Pali study course with a Pali scholar, a teacher of the discourses and the, and the suttas. He gave, I'll give his example. He gave an example of when he was a student. Uh, he was had a friend who had a girlfriend. It's kind of classic story, uh, and they were had their thing going together. And the, him and the girlfriend started to get the eyes for each other, right? And he, he could they could feel that building, but actually he knew on some level that that wasn't skillful. But the instinct was right to keep going. It's powerful. But there was enough capacity to overcome knowing there was enough wisdom and there was enough effort, actually, where he said what he had to do, and this is one of the things, this is like the final straw that the Buddha gives when there's something unskillful happening. He says, he pressed, and this is in the, from the teachings, he pressed his tongue to the roof of his mouth and exerted the force, no, right? It's like mustering the energy, galvanizing the energy to not actually let ourselves go there in a different way than the um, restraint where we're just actually not picking up the thing in the first place. This is once it's been picked up and we've run with it for a bit. It can take some energy to actually draw a really firm line. And sometimes we don't have that energy to overcome that and I, I have an example where I was beginning, I had begun my practice and I was very inspired and there was faith and some things were being developed. But the spiritual faculties hadn't gotten strong enough. (laughs) It's not like they hadn't gotten strong enough to actually be in the middle of my family of origin and um, be wise, right? This is the advanced course, (laughs) right? Because it's not that there's anything wrong with them. They're, They're fine. But that's where our tendencies get triggered, right? And all the old ways I am. So I remember I was, um, I had recently come back from India. I was 
quite young and I was re- I was sincere, very sincere and I had a I was practicing calm and I was showing up a lot more calm than they recognized me at home. And some of it was real and some of it was a little bit tried on. Right as uh, Ramdas calls it when he reflects on that time from his practice he calls it fake holy. <laughs> wasn't all bad I don't want to knock it there was something sweet and beautiful and leading onward in it but there was a little bit of a self-image of the calm and of course nothing like your family to to spot it's like it's like people who have kids as well that you can you know they spot where it's not quite authentic right and my brother was there I mean it's not like we were kids you know he was already like 35 or something and um I was calm and non-harming and that was my. <laughs> he could see. He could see, and he was like putting in these little baits, and and then he he just threw out something like, "Okay, Kath, what about bullfighting?" Right? And it was like, and he was just kind of throwing these stones in the pond just to see if you know he could get a. And I want to say, wisdom doesn't mean you don't have something to say about bullfighting. You might, if that's the truth for you. But what was happening, it was cracking my self-image. And wow, the reactivity just came right up. Right? He got there. And actually, it's now, 30, however many years later, I can just about pay homage. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a while, doesn't it, before you can pay homage. But it's like, oh, yeah. The reactivity came right out. You know, the energy was there. It came right up into the face. I probably got really red and... You know, steam cartoon coming out the ears and gave him a blasting. And it's like, okay. Uh-huh. Mm. So, what happens then? It's not like we have to then be really careful with the practice. It's not like, oh, I've blown it. You know, I've blown it. I've forgotten. I wasn't mindful, calm, wise, compassionate, anything. No. In that moment, the spiritual faculties were overwhelmed by the unskillful tendencies. That's all. It's a little bit humiliating for the for the ego, the spirit, especially the spiritual ego. A little bit humiliating, but that's okay. It didn't feel okay. It didn't feel okay, and the mind will then pick it up and blame him, and then blame me, and then right. Because freedom is when we're no longer compelled by the tendencies that arise. <coughs> it's being compelled, and compelling might be also to collapse. Some, sometimes our reactivity is the fiery kind. Sometimes our reactivity is the collapsing kind that we pull back. It's like we're, you know, equally a response might be to, to my family to... Um, a reactivity of like shutting down, and it can also it could look calm on the outside, but actually I've cut off. My heart's closed, my belly's closed, my mind's closed, not not open. What's it? What do you have on a shop front? You know, closed, closed for business. Right. That's also reactivity, and there's nothing wrong. We can study that. We can see it. We can start to hold that. That which is aware of the closure is not closed. That which can see the contraction is not contracted. This awareness 
as we start to trust and rest back in that, we can start to hold that condition and not have to take that personally either. Right? Just in that moment, that tendency overwhelmed the mind. So, okay, a little bit then. Um, <clears throat> developing, developing and maintaining, I'll just say, see if I can be brief with these. Developing what? The beautiful, skillful qualities. Maintaining what? The beautiful, skillful qualities. Um, developing, there are many, many beautiful qualities in a human being, and we can support them. Um, and developing means we, we cultivate it, we garden a quality, we give it the conditions it needs to start to flourish. So again, I give a small example. Um, I took it on as a practice here on retreat some time ago to um, <clears throat> practice, I didn't even know what the word was, it wasn't generosity, but some kind of kindness or generosity. And I took on an aim for myself that if there were dirty cups hanging around the um, washing up area, sometimes people would leave their cup there and not wash them up, I just took it as a name that uh, an aim that I would pick them up and wash them up for that three-week retreat or whatever it was. That was a big development for me. Might not be for you, right? That was a development. The tendency was, why should I do that? I'm sick of being good. I was good 20 years ago, and look where it got me. <laughs> right? So I'd already kind of moved through having, you know, the reactivity to well, goodness. I have the right to express myself. I don't have to clean anyone's cup. I did that for some years. That was, that was freedom at the time. <laughs> good. I can assert my... I won't clean anybody's cup. Don't make me be good and spiritual. And a fake, I'm not going to be a fake holy again. Right? There's another kind of self arising. And then realizing, actually, you know what? This is for me. Actually, I have the opportunity to pick up the cups and do this because I get to develop something here. So it's a kind of enlightened selfishness, in a way. In fact, at some of the retreat centers, and here today actually, and, and one where I teach, another one where I teach, sometimes the staff in the dining room pick up all the plates of everyone else's washing up. I mean, you don't have to do it here. It, would get complica- it might get complicated, but um, that they'll go around and pick up the plates, welcoming the opportunity to cultivate that that generosity of heart. It's very beautiful. So sometimes for us that's a development. We pick something up and say, okay, I'm going to develop this. Maintaining is interesting. It's like the door of the beautiful quality is already open and I just keep paying into that account. Right? It's like an investment. I'm already a little bit generous or I'm already a little bit uh, patient and I'm going to pay into that account. As a, I have a friend who's he, he's naturally or naturally he's work, he's probably worked on it, but he has a lot of generosity in his uh, manif- he manifests a lot of generosity. <clears throat> um, I don't think he has to develop it anymore. I think it's like the scooter thing. I don't think he has to kickstart it. I think he's on the scooter with generosity. <laughs> it's the door is open, and he just keeps seeing opportunities for himself to be generous. And he, I don't get the sense he's trying to be someone special. It's just there's great joy in his heart when he does it. And then the other one gets to benefit. I get to benefit from that sometimes. 
but he's just maintaining this quality. Hmm. Let's see, I don't want to speak for really long tonight. So maybe I'm on number three. Mindfulness, we've said a lot. And we will say more. This is the third spiritual faculty. As the energy uh, strengthens... Excuse me. (coughs) As the energy strengthens, the mind brightens... And it makes it a little bit more possible to remember to be here. Mindfulness is the not forgetting, it's the remembering. And that quality becomes a power as the energy strengthens. So forgive me, I'll leave mindfulness parked a little bit. As the mindfulness develops, right, your capacity to... Stay step to um, make contact with the objects of awareness. Things keep arising sight, sounds, smells, taste, touch, and the mind, and there is the knowing of them. Right? <coughs> As the mindfulness strengthens, <coughs> the samadhi strengthens, the concentration, the gathered mind, the unified mind, the steady, firm, grounded presence of samadhi where you can it's almost you can touch it it has a kind of gathered uh, tangibility to it when the heart mind is steady right this is samadhi one of what we notice when samadhi is uh, arising when it's present it, it, it doesn't have an edgy quality you know the mind can be edgy sometimes or it can feel fragmented sometimes or tight sometimes the samadhi is wide firm and smooth can also be a lot of ease and uh, pleasure with this sometimes well this is, a, this is translated from um, Samadhi is the original word. It can get translated into concentration. And that can be problematic for many of us. Um, Concentration can arise in two ways. One is when we uh, bring a particular object to mind and we stay with it, right? So I'm looking at the microphone and I stay with that and the mind kind of steadies around that gaze, Concentration, samadhi, also develops through the mindfulness of from uh, from object to object as we're attending with our right view of being with the experiences moment to moment to moment. The concentration and samadhi starts to build. One of my teachers puts it this way. He says, sometimes we think we need to concentrate in order to be mindful, in order to meditate. Right? that we have to kind of get focused and we have to kind of t- gather ourselves in and if we're not careful we get very, very tight doing that. He says, rather see it this way, that we meditate, we're mindful in order to see how samadhi comes about. Right? You can't just uh, 
It's not self. It's not a factor that you can just kind of grab off the shelf and I'm going to be concentrated or I'm going to be concentrated. We practice, we're mindful, and we start to see how the mind gathers and settles and firms up. This way, for most of us, there's much more chance that the samadhi is malleable, that it has um, life in it, and isn't that we've squeezed and bared down on our breath or our body and squeezed the life out of it. Have any of you ever done that (laughs) in practice? Some of us do that to start with. We think we've got to concentrate and we kind of bear down on ourselves. And we get exhausted and um, <clears throat> tight. And we, and we might feel concentrated. And, and actually, to, to be fair, you know, we may even, there may be some beautiful things that come. We may see some things clearly, but it is not sustainable. And the concentration, um, it's like the life can go out of it. It's like, uh, my husband gives an example of like tomato concentrate, where all the water's been extracted out of it. And it's like all the water, all the life can get extracted. And we might be concentrated, but we're a little like a, like a, a, like a, a little bit like a hedgehog when, when she rolls up. We're in a kind of concentration that's a bit prickly on the outside because anything that impinges is not welcome. Right? Some of you will know that. If you don't know it, lucky you. <laughs> Lucky you. We, we're all a little different which ways we go with things, right? Hmm. Okay, I think I want to go straight into wisdom here. Again, lots more could be said. Um, as the samadhi gains momentum, it gains power and strength, the mind becomes more bright. And as the mind becomes more bright, the last faculty, and again, obviously they're working all together, but the last faculty, wisdom, discernment, the capacity to discern becomes more possible when the mind is bright. Like if the light is brighter, you see things more clearly. Right? So this is how wisdom is supported. Discerning what? Discerning what leads to happiness and what does not lead to happiness. Discerning what the three characteristics of my experience, that actually it's not mine. If I stay with it with this, with these spiritual faculties, it's changing, it's in motion. It's not uh, mine to fix or control. It's happening. It's happening. And if I take my hands off with wisdom, this will unfold in a way that leads onwards. Right? So I'm steady, I'm mindful, I'm discerning, and it will lead onward. And I think I'll, I'll give an, another example with the, with the family, because that can be the place, as you know, where we get triggered. And this was some years ago, actually, after a lot of practice, another brother, different brother this time. And... Uh, care about him and love him and a con- the conversation happened was happening and something got put into the conversation about our shared history right and suddenly there were 
about five responses arising in the heart-mind. Actually, I could say reactions. <laughs> I wouldn't call them responses. They, were, they, they had that kind of charge to them, which is a little different. Responses, the, the reactivity can sometimes have that. It's sort of imperative and that. It's really important and it has that kind of charge to it. And there was uh, one, all the, all the ones I've seen so far, and there may be more, but all the ones I've seen so far with this particular contact, there was the response arising here to make a joke about what happened right, with him. There was another response to blast him. Right? There was another response of closing shop. Whoa, this was painful. That was another response. I can't remember what the other ones are. Were. There were, there were four or five old conditioned responses to be funny, to be uh, kind of blasting, to shut down. Anyway, you get the picture. There was a number of responses. <coughs> and in that moment, and that was new, in that moment, the faculties, in that moment, there was enough brightness, enough discernment to actually know, you know what? None of these lead anywhere. I've, I, I followed them all. I followed them all. There was enough samadhi to hold steady. There was enough faith to not know what the real response was going to be, because that's scary too, isn't it? Right? It's like, but I have to say something, and and he's going to expect me. And right, there was enough just to pause. That the faith in that moment was in dharma rather than in maintaining an idea about myself. Just in that moment. Right? This isn't self either. It's not like I'm always there. It's like in that moment, you can see sometimes the faculties come together. I paused. I waited. They were impermanent. They arose with all that f- fire or the fear. or the. I breathed. There was some tolerating, having to tolerate the not knowing what was going to come next. Right? It was not self. Right? These arose due to conditions. We all have things like this. They arose due to conditions. The conditions have been set up. And when the conditions are arising for a certain thing, there it is. It will arise. It's not me. It's not mine. It belongs to the nature of things. So I could take my hands off a little bit in that moment and that I knew in that moment if I picked these up there would be more suffering for myself probably for him too but definitely for me this starts to strengthen the faith oh yeah, it works these faculties come together with, with persistence and practice this is not esoteric this is practical and this builds. This is something we can cultivate. The truth of conditionality means that actually when we put in, we pay into the account of certain qualities, they bear fruit in time. We practice patience. It bears fruit in some mysterious moment, in this case, like you know, 50, 20 years later, where... There was capacity. This is how our faith deepens.
And as these spiritual faculties uh, strengthen, flow into one another, the uh, power for awakening uh, is um, available, becomes more available. This leads onward toward what we could say the the release, the third noble truth, what is uh, called the uh, release, the letting go of suffering, or sometimes called uh, the release into the deathless, into the deathless dimension of being. Okay, let's sit together for a minute. May all beings rest deeply on this earth. May all beings know happiness and the causes of happiness. May all beings know the heart's release from suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.